Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. This week's episode is one that I have been looking forward to sharing with you. When I first started this podcast over a year ago, I drafted a wish list of guests I'd like to interview. Tony Wagner was one of the names at the top of that list. When I reached out to invite him on the show, he accepted my invitation without hesitation. I first learned of Tony Wagner years ago when I read several of his best-selling books, including Most Likely to Succeed, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era, Creating Innovators, The Making of Young People Who Will Change the World, and The Global Achievement Gap. And recently, I had the pleasure of reading Tony's newest book, Learning by Heart, An Unconventional Education, a memoir about his journey through life and education. During our conversation, Tony shares the list of the seven survival skills for young people that he cultivated through interviews with executives over a two-year period. We talk about why test scores don't matter and why mastery does. And throughout our conversation, Tony offers lots of valuable insight and actionable tips for parents of teens. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's get started. Welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Are you tired of watching the teenagers in your life trying desperately to keep up on the high school hamster wheel? Is your teen confused about which direction to take after high school graduation? Our world is changing, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they can feel empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we will explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and I can't wait to take this journey with you. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Betsy, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I have been a fan of yours for a long time. I've read your books long before my podcast, and we're going to talk about some of those today. Um, as an author of seven books, which is incredibly impressive, um, many of which I've read, you have done, you've spent a lot of time in and around education, had um, an enormous amount of conversations and interviews with people. I mean, you're just a wealth of information, but um, let's start with your book called The Global Achievement Gap. But before we do that, would you just take a minute or two and just kind of introduce yourself to my audience? Uh, my name is Tony Wagner. I currently serve as an expert in residence at the Learning Policy Institute, but I spend most of my time writing books and giving talks. Excellent. So speaking of books, um, I'd love to talk the, about The Global Achievement Gap because when I read that and reread it, it really resonated with me as a parent of teenagers, because you talk about the seven survival skills. Um, and I guess we'll go through them one by one, just briefly, if that's okay with you. Sure. Well, before we actually go into the, the skills themselves, your listeners might want to know a little bit about how they came about. You know, they, they come whole cloth out of my head, you know, <laughs> would they come down on a tablet or how did that happen? So. The story is, um, I was on an airplane going somewhere, and the man sitting next to me was very conversational. Turns out to be the CEO of a company called BOEC Edwards. That's a company that makes the machines that makes computer chips. 
And I thought, here, well, here's an interesting opportunity. I want to find out more about what kinds of skills are required because everybody's talking about STEM now. And I was a bit of a skeptic. And so I said, well, Clay, you know, when you interview someone, what's the first skill you look for? He said, well, I really look for somebody who knows how to ask very good questions. I said, what? He said, yeah. And by the way, he was an engineer by training. So I figured he'd say something about calculus or whatever. I don't know, engineering. So he said, yeah, because problem solving begins with problem identification. And to identify the right problem, you have to ask really good questions. Then I said, okay, well, what about the next thing, Clay? Thinking, well, now comes the STEM content. And he said, well, you know, the next thing is I look for an employee who can look me in the eye and engage in a thoughtful conversation. He said, it does no good if you can ask good questions, but you're staring at your feet or you, you really don't know how to engage and collaborate. So I was just stunned. They were completely counterintuitive answers from what I expected. And that led me to spend two years interviewing this enormous variety of senior executives from Apple to Unilever to the U.S. military. And I went in just wanting to understand, was Clay Parker crazy or was it me or what was going on here? And so I really had enormous fun interviewing these folks. And what came out of those interviews, as I asked them, what are the skills that matter most? What are the biggest gaps you see? Was a list of skills. And they, they weren't mine. They really came from the interviews. I simply tried to distill them. And that's where the seven survival skills came from. Oh, yeah, that's great. But right from where the people are doing the interviewing. And I've heard that from other people that I've interviewed on the podcast and other people in business, you know, there's a lot of technical skills and things that are being taught to young people, mm -hmm. but it's those, I like that you call them survival skills. I've heard them called yeah. soft skills, which I don't think there's anything soft about them, but no, um, survival, that's a good way to put them. Um, so great. Can we, can we talk through some of those or all of those? Sure. Absolutely. I just thought folks would want to know a little bit about their origins. Oh with, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't take all the credit for having <laughs> made them up at all. <laughs> well, great. So, and distilling them into a, a list that's understandable and useful is, is a huge benefit. So, so number one is, as you started to talk about critical thinking and problem solving, I love that the ability to ask good questions. Um, I think some of that happens in our schools today. I mean, there is some, problem solving going on but and critical thinking, but certainly only on a, a superficial level. So how do you think we could do better in education and even at home with our kids in helping to develop that skill? Well, that's a really important question because critical thinking is a buzzword. And, you know, you get five educators in the room and you'll have 10 definitions of what is critical thinking. And you ask an academic and they'll say, well, thinking critically means critically thinking, kind of a circular thing. <laughs> so, uh, well, again, when I asked these uh, executives what they meant, they said, as I said, the ability to ask very good questions. And then I turned to the work of Deborah Meyer, one of the very first educators to get a MacArthur Genius Award. I've long been a fan of hers. And uh, her book, The Power of Their Ideas, talks about the five habits of mind. And, and th I think these are equally important for parents as well as teachers to really uh, reinforce and strengthen. The first habit of mind 
is the habit of asking, what's the evidence for this? How do we know? What other evidence ought we to be considering? And boy, are is that such an important thing now when people's kind of make up things whole cloth that in, are in no way evidence-based. Then the second thing is perspective. Whose perspective are we hearing? What other perspectives ought we to be hearing? Uh, again, vitally important for history and so on. The third is uh, connection. Is what I'm hearing connected to something else I've learned or something else I care about? And that's very important for young people to have a sense of, well, what is this piece of knowledge attached to? Why is it important? And then the, the fourth uh, habit of mind is supposition. Being able to ask, supposing if, what if this had happened? What if the South had won the Civil War? Whatever. And then finally, uh, connection. I'm sorry, uh, finally, significance, rather. Um, how is this important? To whom and why? So those five habits of mind taken together, I think, are the best definitions of critical thinking that I've ever heard. And again, you see there are different categories of question asking. Yeah, I love those. I've not heard those before. Um, that That's a great tip. And something you can apply and practice at home with your kids. It doesn't have to happen Absolutely. in the classroom. At the dinner table, in any conversation. Yeah. To always be able to ask a young person, well, kind of, what's your evidence for that point of view? Or, you know, or, hey, where did you hear, how did you learn that? Or, and then perspective taking has been so critical for us to be more aware of, in the, particularly in the last six months, as we've been sen sensitized to issues of systemic racism and so on. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Super helpful. Okay. Um, so, number two, collaboration across networks and leading by influence. Well, these two go together because increasingly all work is done in teams everywhere, except in education, of course, uh, where we still don't have the, the benefit and value of working in teams. And then the second piece is that increasingly authority is not just comes down from on high in the modern work setting. It's much more about being able to influence and persuade as opposed to leading by power. And so these two skills are absolutely essential. Yeah. And unfortunately, right now, uh, any hope of group work and teamwork in schools has been kiboshed by COVID because yeah. a lot of kids are doing school from home virtually. And even in school, they're separated by, you know, six feet and plastic partitions. Um, it's horrible. It is. It's just awful. And unfortunately, again, it's not really conducive to building that teamwork mentality and, and working together. I do like what you said about leading by influence though, too, because, and I experienced this throughout the years when I worked in corporate America, the lead, people were referred to as leaders, no matter what level they were at, right? You didn't have to be in power or at a top level, just somebody who had influence and could persuade others and, and took the lead in the initiative. Just to go back to, to it, when we all have a chance to return to normal school, I think one of the things parents and educators need to understand is that the you what usually passes for group work in schools is not real collaboration because there's no accountability. And in real teamwork, and I've seen this done brilliantly in schools, teams feel accountable to one another within the team and they're evaluated by their peers for their contribution to the team, and the teacher does the same. 
So accountable teamwork is really what we're talking about here. And across networks is important because in fact, you know, so much of work is not done just in your isolated silo or your pod. It's done by reaching out to various different networks. Yeah. Well, and in thinking about applying that, applying that at home, you know, it's a very simplistic example, but like cleaning our house, <laughs> it's teamwork. <Right. laughs> you do your Absolutely. bathroom, I'll do mine kind of thing. But, but yeah. yeah, are there, do you have other tips for how to apply that at home and help our teens learn to be uh, more collaborative? I think it takes practice. I think it takes transparency. It takes, it takes example. You know, mm -hmm. you go do this while I sit and watch TV doesn't work so well. <laughs> uh, so it, it takes all of those things. And then it takes constant problem solving. You know, collaboration is not easy. Yeah. We, we know that from marriages and other kinds of partnerships. And so to be able to step back periodically and say, how's this working? What's working well? What's not? What can we do better? Yeah. Okay. Great. Number three, agility and adaptability. Oh boy. Again, if, if 2020 didn't teach us a lesson in adaptability, I don't know what would. Amen, sister. <laughs> I mean, this has been a year of having to be absolutely agile and adaptable, all of us. And it's either be that <coughs> or just kind of be relegated to the, to the past. Uh, you know, I think we all understand how critical these capabilities are now. Yeah. And I've said this all, all last year, awful, terrible time for everyone, including our teens. But in a way, they've been given a gift of learning to become resilient and flexible and adaptable. Yes. And I wouldn't want to have to teach that lesson in this way, but at least they are gaining some skills from it. At least some are. I hope they are. Um, it, but it's <laughs> you're right. It's often a, more of a hope than a, than a reality. I think if we're not intentional about underscoring these things, and and helping young people learn from their mistakes, maybe about their a time when they could have been more agile or adaptable, that that they're not likely to be learned skills. Yeah, and when you talk about mistakes and failure, that's kind of a hot button for me because school is not conducive to teaching kids to fail. It's all oh, about if you want to get me started on that, get ready for a long one. Oh, I'm it's, ready. It's, it's, it's <laughs> something that's critically important for us to understand. For parents to understand that the days of being able to succeed as a young person because you're more you're quicker more facile or more agile you're ahead on the bell curve you're better at test taking those days are completely over mm. because employers aren't looking for those skills they don't care how much our kids know how well they've done on tests 15 percent of the new hires at google don't even have a ba degree Right. They're asking questions through structured interviews, like tell me about a complex problem you've solved, which gets us right back to these kinds of skills. And the whole problem with failure is that it's a stigmatized, it's punitive in schools. Whereas, in fact, all real learning is through trial and error. How do we learn to talk? How do we learn to walk? How do we learn to ride a bike? The only failure I recognize is the failure not to show up, not to try. Otherwise, the only three grades I believe in are A, B, or incomplete. I think we have to move to a mastery-based system where the expectation is every student will meet the same level of proficiency. Some may take much longer. Some may need more help. But the, the, the standard stays the same. I mean, come on. That's how the adult world works. 
driver's license, a plumber's license, a pilot's license, a physician's license, all require mastery of core competencies demonstrated. And then the A is recognized for genuine human excellence. So I think one of the most damaging things we see happening in our schools today is this emphasis on you know, the, the bell curve and on, on the, the ways in which failing has become a pejorative and a punitive kind of experience for kids. Instead of helping kids to learn from their mistakes. Yep. You're preaching to the choir. I'm that you were speaking my language. I, it's a big ship to turn, as I keep hearing. But there's hope. I'm a part of a new national organization called the Mastery Transcript Consortium, developing an entirely different kinds of competency-based high school transcript to send to colleges or employers. And we're getting growing numbers of colleges saying this is exactly what we need. The tests don't tell us anything useful. So we're very optimistic that this could be a growing trend, especially today when more than 1,600 universities are test optional. So there, there, there is a kind of an opening up of this entire system that we did not see five years ago. Oh, that's fantastic. Is there more information online? Can I include a link? Can I get a link from you? Yeah, ma- mastery.org, mastery.org okay. for Mastery Transcript Consortium. But if, uh, uh, if parents and teachers want to know, well, if I don't, if I want to go to a test optional school, what's te- who's test optional? Go to fairtest.org.org, and you'll see a link. More than 1,600. Harvard this year no longer is asking for tests. University of Chicago, arguably the most academically rigorous university in the country, no longer requires any kind of testing. The entire University of California system has just thrown out SATs, ACTs, growing numbers of colleges no longer give credit for advanced placement courses because they're a game of a trivial pursuit and not evidence of mastery or deep understanding. Oh, that's awesome. So how are those, uh, we're a little off topic here, but I still want to talk about this because I love this. Um, How are those schools then differentiating kids, right? If so, if it's not the, he got the high SAT and she didn't, what are, do you know what they're looking for instead of that? Well, you know, they all have a different language for it. I can tell you why they're not using this test scores any longer, because they're very biased. If your family has money for a tutor, you'll do better. Uh, the test can be gamed. Yep. And of course, that uh, is heavily biased against our most disadvantaged students. So what are they looking for? Qualities of character, you know, and not evidence through one quick service learning project you did, you know, on your vacation in Bermuda, you know, they're looking for genuine leadership over the long term, Uh, ability to uh, kind of rise up kind of in spite of adversity. Um, So there is a growing awareness that these are the qualities that matter, grit, perseverance, tenacity, self-regulation, self-discipline. Genius is not born, it's made. And it's made through practice and persistence. And those are muscles that can and must be developed by adults helping young people understand. And that will get us back to the issue of motivation and play and passion and purpose, of course, because where does that grit come from? It does not come from a tiger mom sitting on your shoulder saying, practice for 10,000 hours. It comes because you're curious and your curiosity as a young person leads to an interest an interest that may grow into a passion because you have the full support of the adults in your community saying, 
a passion is worth pursuing because that's how you develop grit, perseverance, tenacity, also a kind of individual human uniqueness that in fact is exactly what college uh, admissions people and employers now look for. This is so good. I'm I'm taking notes. Uh, This is so good. Okay. I'm not even sure where to go next. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Okay, so number four, initiative and entrepreneurship, which falls right in line with what you're talking about, right? Well, it does, because the culture of schooling is a culture of passivity. It's a culture of compliance. It's a culture of kind of obeying authority so often. And that is the exact opposite of what the adult world wants and needs from young people today. You don't get do well in a corporate or business setting of any kind or a nonprofit setting by saying, just tell me what to do. I'll just follow orders. Tell me what to do. No, people, you know, expect you to take initiative to be entrepreneurial. Now being entrepreneurial doesn't mean you have to go start your own company, but it does mean a mindset uh, where you are willing to sort of, Try new things. Think of new solutions. That's awesome. And again, at home, rather than having our kids start a new business, to get them to to have that kind of mindset, I mean, it all goes along with growth mindset, right? But um, how to get them to take initiative, I can't get them to take initiative to, you know, pick up their laundry. So um, how, any tips on that about how parents can instill that kind of mindset? Picking up their laundry would be more in the column of compliance than initiative. <laughs> I think we need, to, we need to be a little bit clearer here. You know, uh, I think, you know, a question to ask, to ask young people is, you know, is there a particular problem in our community that you find interesting or of concern? Uh, you know, what do you see around you that kind of troubles you or that sparks your attention and imagination? And then might there be something you could do, something you could try? Uh, And that's done increasingly in some schools now, which are more project-based. But I think parents can think about vacations as a different kind of experience, too. What would you like to learn on this vacation? What would you like to do that you've never done before? So initiative has a broad kind of scope, I think. Yeah, I love that. I like infusing, and you know, we're on vacation, so it's all about fun. But I like the idea of learning something new while you're at it. Um, Great idea. Okay, number five is effective oral and written communication. Well, that's an obvious one. Yeah. But you you wouldn't know it if you were in schools. Mm-hmm. When was the last time one of your parents who are listening uh, had a child who was asked to give a speech and then had that speech critiqued and revised and done again? How frequently are they having to give speeches for real audiences? How frequently are they writing for real audiences? I mean, you know, in my memoir, Learning by Heart, I talked about how writing became a passion for me, but also I talked a great deal about how I uh, took a completely different approach as a young English teacher to teaching writing by creating real audiences, by having kids regularly write and revise their work. 
These are the things that develop oral and written communication skills, not test prep, not the five paragraph essay garbage that we spend far too much time on through no fault of teachers, by the way. It is state legislators who were really sadly misinformed about the skills that matter most and how best to prepare kids. Yep. Yep. And yeah, in in your book, um, Learning by Heart, I mean, you had that, you were so fortunate that you had that teacher who wasn't even really your teacher, right? And you said, will you teach me creative writing? And he did, which it's teachers like that. And there's so many of them that even with the handcuffs, as I call them, of, of the public school system will find ways to reach kids yeah. like he did you and like you've done with you did with your students. So yeah. Yeah. it exists out there. I have hope. But we have to systematize it. These are what I call random acts of excellence. Mm. And we can't rely on that random special teacher. We have to really take a hard look at how oral and written communication are mastered and therefore, then, how should they be best taught? Okay. Again, it goes back to being evidence-based, right? Yep. Yep. All right. Number six, accessing and analyzing information. Well, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, uh, I learned the hard way how to do a good internet search by developing better and better questions, getting better and better results. Most kids today have no clue how to do that because the internet is blocked in their school. And when they get home, what they want to do is get on their games. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, again, parents can draw kids in by saying, you know, when a kid asks a question, say, you know, how do kangaroos get their pouches or whatever question they come up with, instead of a parent trying to answer it or say, I don't know, <laughs> or ask your teacher, say, well, that's an interesting question. Let's see what we can learn about that. So kids need to understand the internet is the single most powerful tool for accessing information, but only if you know how to critically analyze the results. Yeah, because there is so much information out there that's not factual or not relevant. Exactly. Um, so the the, anal- the analyzing piece is huge. Um, yeah. Okay, that's great. And finally, and for I think probably most importantly, curiosity and imagination. Well, I I heard these things from business executives, but it wasn't until uh, my next book after that called Creating Innovators that mm-hmm. I fully appreciated the importance of curiosity and imagination. These are what every innovator has in common, whether it's a social entrepreneur, a social innovator, or a high-tech innovator, doesn't matter. Uh, they are naturally curious, and they love to exercise their imagination. Now, I think we can do that in schools. The problem is in schools, we really drive curiosity out of kids' daily lives. We don't give them time to ask their own questions and then time to then research their own answers. We don't give them opportunities to imagine. That's considered play. It happens a little in the elementary school, but the older kids get, the less curious they are, the fewer their own questions they ask, the more they become obsessed with getting the right answers. And that doesn't require any imagination. Right, right. Yeah, you talked about in Creating Innovators about play, passion, and purpose. And um, I love that. I totally agree. I I think it's Google that has the genius hour, right, where they get an hour each day to just work on, learn, discover, any research, anything they want, anything that's yeah. of interest to them. And 
Um, I did an interview a while back with a high school teacher in Indiana who does the same thing with his students, just because it does create that, it in, encourages innovation and curiosity. Well, this gets to the heart of the what's missing in so many classrooms I observe, and it's the lack of any effort to stimulate intrinsic motivation. Why are most kids learning? Because of grades, carrots and sticks, yep. rewards and punishments. You know, fear of what happens if they bring a bad grade home or hope for a little kind of carrot incentive if they bring a good grade home. The adult world no longer works on those kinds of incentives to the degree that it once might have. Increasingly, your ability to d develop an interest, stay curious, an interest that becomes a passion, a passion that might become a purpose in adult life, is the key differentiator that between thriving in the 21st century versus merely getting by. Hmm. So intrinsic motivation is, I mean, that's a a big topic. I've had others on the podcast talk about that. How do you develop that? Like, how do you move away from a system that where kids are so familiar with the carrot and the stick and the reward, 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 and cultivate that so they understand what that means? Well, I think it's hard when so much of the school world uh, move, is trends in the opposite direction. But the hope is, look, we're born curious, creative, imaginative. That's the human DNA, not something that's just handed out randomly to a few people. So the issue is, how do we keep that spirit alive by constantly, you know, having thoughtful conversations around the dinner table or in the classroom that stimulate curiosity, that stimulate uh, an interest in the world around one by doing, as I suggested earlier, saying, all right, we're going to take it. We have a long weekend or, you know, we have a, uh, a vacation coming up. What would you like to do that you've never done before? What would you like to learn or, or find out about? I know some friends who uh, have grandchildren, and every year they take one grandchild on a trip to the location of their choice. But the grandchild has to research it, find out about it, explain why he or she wants to go to that place. So I think that's a wonderful way to keep those spirits alive. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that idea. Make the I, I feel like I'm going to make my kids do the work before we go anywhere to to learn about it. But if if it's something you're curious about, it's not going to be felt like work. Right. 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 It'll become something that has its own reward. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that idea. Okay, so you know, I'll, yeah, I'll use a crazy example that just occurred to me. You okay. live near the the fairyland of Disney World, right? <laughs> yes, I do. Well, before I would ever agree to take a kid to Disney World, I'd say, who's Walt Disney? Where did Disney World come from? Mm. How how did that happen? Uh, you know, who are the, where did Walt Disney get these ideas? What made him famous? So that you don't just walk into Disney World and experience Mickey Mouse or whomever without, you know, having learned a little something. Yeah, that's a great example. Really good example, because gosh, there's so much that you could find out and research. Of course, yeah, about the era, his the moment in history, mm -hmm. you know, the way he struggled as a young person, how he just doodled, right? Yeah, as I recall, I don't think his teachers were very happy with his doodling. So it's a <laughs> wonderful example. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, can we talk about your most recent book? 
Yes, indeed. Okay. Learning by heart in unconventional education. So all of your books up until this one, correct me if I'm wrong, have been based on research and interviews and statistics and science and all that. And this one, this one is literally from the heart because you wrote it about your life and your journey. How, how did you decide to do that? Well, there are two threads that come together here. First of all, I wanted to be a novelist when I was a young adolescent and a young adult. Even in in my first year of my doctoral program at Harvard, I was so effing bored. Pardon my French. (laughs) I was so bored that I wrote three drafts of a coming of age novel, a novel that I'd started when I was 19. But I discovered through trial and error that I'm never going to be a good novelist. But I love the tools that are in the novelist toolbox, you know, descriptions and dialogue and, uh, you know, poetry and so on. I also felt the need to tell a story. I had no new arguments to make, but I wanted to tell the story of how this kid who was thrown, asked not to return to his middle school, was a high school dropout, a two-time college dropout, coming of age in the 60s, heavily involved in the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement. How did that person become me and do write the books I've done and so on? In other words, my life was a lot of trial and error with the emphasis on error. And I wanted to sort of help people understand that people learn and grow in different ways and at different rates and that trial and error is the way we really mature and grow. And so that's why I tried to tell my own story of uh, how I learned by heart in the sense of really trying to get to the heart of the matter and trying to really learn as much uh, through my emotions as I did through my intellect. It's beautifully written. I'm a big fan of memoirs. It's kind of my favorite um, book to listen to and read when I listen on audio. But um, I think it's an super important message for young people. I often say bumpy roads lead to beautiful destinations. And I think some of the stories I've heard both on the podcast and off the podcast, including yours, just reinforce that fact, right? It's not linear. It's not all, no. you know, sunshine and rainbows. It's hard. And for example, I mean, you left or was asked to, were asked to leave middle school, dropped out of several schools, yet now you have multiple degrees from Harvard, you're a well-established and well-known author. Like the point is Follow follow the road to where you want to go, no matter how bumpy it is, and you'll get there, right? Amen to that. Yeah. But also, you hope to meet a few parents and or other adults along the way who can support you, who don't castigate you because you're not good at school, mm-hmm. who, who really have a, a faith and a belief in you and continue to encourage you to pursue those real interests. Yeah. Amen. This has been such a great conversation. As I said to you before we started, I could probably talk to you all afternoon. Um, I'm going to put links to all of your books and your website and all that in the show notes. Um, Anywhere else people can reach out to you? Twitter. I I try to be very active for both parents and educators to look out for articles or themes or ideas that I think will be of general interest. I don't tweet about what I had for breakfast or who I met yesterday. (laughs) I only try to make it something useful to people. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. I'm going to follow you. Anything else? Any last words of wisdom or advice that you want to share? 
No, I think you've asked wonderful questions, and we've covered a lot of territory in a short amount of time. It's been wonderful. Delightful. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful for your time. I know you're super busy, and I'm I'm just so glad to have had this time with you. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you would take a minute to give me a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so new episodes will be delivered directly to you as soon as they become available. You can find and connect with me on the High School Hamster Wheel Facebook page. And please consider joining me and my co-host Jay Dusold in our Life After 12th Facebook group, where we provide encouragement and help for parents of career-confused teens and 20-somethings. All links and references mentioned during this episode can be found in the show notes. The High School Hamster Wheel Podcast is a proud partner of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hi, this is Kim Thompson, host of Storytime Anytime, a podcast packed with songs, stories, and a whole lot of learning fun. Each episode will explore a new topic like dinosaurs, sharks, space travel, chemistry, horses, reptiles, and so much more. New episodes are out every other week, so check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. It's really story time and music at its best, exclusively for kids.